I do bring you greetings from uh, Fishersville, uh, Holy Cross East, just getting back from there, and, uh, and it was great. So uh, my name is Rick, in case you don't know, because I wasn't here before. I'm the pastor here at Holy Cross. It is good to have, uh, good to be with you, and great to, to worship together on Easter. This is a big Sunday for us. Um, if you're new, you probably don't realize that. We, uh, we launched our first um, our first separate congregation, Holy Cross East, this morning uh, in Fishersville. That is, a, that is a work that is about seven years in the making. Praying, planning, uh, preparing. Um, it is a, it is a, great, a great thing. Uh, and we're stoked about it and, and glad that, that we can all take part in that. So, uh, so that's, that's one reason why it's a big day. The other is because it's Easter, right? Easter. This is like Christian main event. Now, I know we don't tend to think that in American culture as a whole, right? I mean, if we're honest, the Christian main event in American culture isn't Easter, it's Christmas. Uh, well, that's the one that we tend to get the most jazzed about. Now, some of you are probably like, well, yeah, Rick, I mean, I, but I understand the big deal about Christmas. Do you? I mean, if we're being honest, don't you think that our, fr- our, our understanding of Christmas has been shaped more by sentimentality and Hallmark movies than it has by Jesus? I mean, just if we're being honest. But that does raise the question for us about Easter. Like, why does the resurrection matter? And, and some of you are Christians, so you, you, you're saying, well, Rick, the resurrection matters because Jesus rose from the dead. I know. But what does a seemingly random event 2,000 years ago that happened to a 30-year-old Middle Eastern dude have to do with me? Right? Death of death. Okay. And? What about, what about me right now? See, whether you're a Christian or not, we can tend to view the resurrection of Jesus as this weird event that either has significance to us theoretically, or it's just kind of a curiosity. But what does it matter to me right now? Because you and I don't deal with questions like, did Jesus rise from the dead? We deal with questions like, who am I? What do I do? Does anything matter? Like, those are the kind of questions that we deal with. But this morning what I want to tell you is that it's the resurrection of Jesus that actually does speak to those things. And so what we're going to be doing this morning is we're going to be jumping through um, Paul's letter to the Romans. And we're going to be showing uh, how the resurrection actually does matter because it does answer who am I? What do I do? What does it matter? And what we're going to find ultimately as we do this is this. That the resurrection of Jesus can change your life, it can change your living, and it can change your legacy. As we come into that, would you pray with me? Father, uh, I, we're in this room for various reasons. Some of us are just marking time until we can go get lunch. We're looking forward to deviled eggs and ham. Others of us are here and we are eager to hear about what, uh, what you've done in and through the resurrection. And most of us are probably in somewhere in the middle. Just really grateful that there were sugar-coated cookies on the back table this morning. And so, uh, Lord, we, we need you to enliven our minds to w- wake us from the slumber that we tend to go through our lives with. We need you to speak to our hearts because I can't do that. You alone can do that. We need you to, uh, to minister your gospel to us. Whether it's for the first time or for the first time in the last 10 minutes, we need to hear it. And we need you to preach it to us. And so we ask that you do this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. 
So what do I mean when I say that the resurrection can change your life? Um, as always, you know, if it's helpful, there's an outline in your bulletin if you're, if you're a, a note taker. If not, just leave it. But what I mean by the idea that the resurrection can change your life is this. The, the resurrection does speak, in fact, to the question of who am I? It speaks to the question of who am I? And it speaks to that because you and I tend to answer that question very differently than the Bible does. We tend to answer it through narcissism. And now I say that and you're like, Rick, I'm not no narcissist. I don't know what you're talking about. I know you're, you're not diagnosable. Right? I get that. You're not a diagnosable narcissist and neither am I. But that doesn't mean we're not narcissists. We are because it's just kind of how we're made. And so narcissism, not the diagnosable kind, again, that's not what I'm talking about. But the general idea can be defined as many things. But the one thing that's kind of standard is the refusal to take responsibility. It's not my fault. Uh, you, you, you don't know the kind of pressure I'm under. I'm sorry, but. Right? And for those of you who don't know, when you say but after I'm sorry, it cancels out the I'm sorry. It's like unbalancing the equation for your math guys. Like you just totally messed it all up. We don't like to take responsibility for things. And I know, I know, I don't know you, right? I, I get that. But I do know people because I'm one. And as people, I know that we don't like to take responsibility for things. We love to say things like, it's not my fault. You don't understand. And so on the one hand, we tend to go through life presenting an image that has most things together, if not all things, while at the same time dealing with this nagging sense of, I'm not okay. And we make up for that nagging sense that things aren't right. Some of us make up for that by working harder because we haven't yet come to the conclusion that we're not enough. And so we work really hard and we try really hard and we, we put forth that image. And when we come up short, we decide we're going to do differently and I'm going to make a commitment right here. And we're the ones who actually make it to March with our New Year's resolutions, right? Like that's, that's us. But others of us, if you're anything like me, you've long since given up on that. Long before I was a Christian, I gave up on that. Because I realize I can't, I, I can't do it. I'm just not. And so you've given up on trying to work harder and instead you just blame shift. But all of us ultimately are asking, who am I? Am I the image that I'm trying to project? Or am I that thing that's still nagging at me? So which is it? You see, the Bible teaches us that that nagging comes from the fact that you and I know that we've broken a relationship with God. And some of you are like, Rick, I don't even believe in God. I know, but... Hear me out, because this is, this is why the Bible, at least, would tell you that you've got that nagging sense that something's not right. That you've actually broken relationship with God. And all of us have, all of us, by nature, not by what we've done, but by who we are. That's just part of what it means to be human. We've betrayed him, and every betrayal brings guilt. And so what we tend to want to do, in general, is we want to try and make up for that. And we want to make up for that because we imagine that our guilt before God is something akin to when, we, um, when we're little and we take snacks out of the pantry that we're not supposed to. And mom and dad told us not to do that. We went and did it anyway. And, we're like, and they come and find us. They're like, man, why'd you do that? Eh, oh, well, less for dinner, right? That's what we think our betrayal before God is like. But the Bible doesn't talk about it in terms of swiping a snack. It talks about it in terms of adultery. And so what we want to say is, it's not my fault. You don't understand my life. 
And so we end up in cycles of either blame shifting or striving and hiding. That's what we do with our narcissism. But the Bible actually does speak to this. And in fact, the resurrection speaks to this because it can change your life. And, and so we want to look at this from the New Testament letter to the Romans. And Romans was written by a dude named Paul. You love Paul? Super intense. Some of y'all are just as intense. You go through life with this kind of intensity. Before he was a Christian, Paul ran with the intensity that wanted to wipe out the church, destroy it. And then he became a Christian. And he carried that intensity into his Christianity to try and make the church grow throughout the Mediterranean world. Uh, super intense. And so he writes, he's writing to this church that he's never visited, this church in Rome. And he's talking and in the midst of this about a dude named Abraham. And he says this. He says, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Now, I just committed a cardinal sin in preaching, which is I jumped us in the middle of an argument and I gave no context. So let me explain what's going on. Paul is in the middle of talking about uh, the problem in the world. That's what he spent the first three chapters kind of dealing with. And now this is chapter four. He's starting to engage in what the solution is. And in doing so, he talks about two dudes. The first is Abraham. Maybe you've heard of him. Many sons. Many sons said, Father, Abraham. Wake up. All right, come on. Presbyterians, come on. All right. Anyway, so he had uh, many sons, uh, big, big figure in the Old Testament. Um, he talks about Abraham because Abraham is like us. Nothing special about Abraham. In fact, if you were to actually read the Bible, what you'd find out is Abraham was a train wreck. He was terrible towards his wife. Um, saved his own skin by literally giving her to another man. Twice. Okay. Not a special dude. What made Abraham special was that God uh, picked him out. And so he's, he's, Paul wants to talk about him because he's like us. But then he talks about Jesus. He's the second guy. And Jesus he talks about because he's the answer to our problems. So here's how the resurrection can change your life. Ready? On the one hand, from what Paul just said, the resurrection tells us our problem is way worse than we think. It's way worse than we think. We betrayed God. We're guilty. Can you make up for betrayals? I mean, can flowers get you out of adultery? How about a diamond ring? I mean, unless you're like Kobe Bryant. Then it gets you out of adultery, but that's, he's the only one, right? See, the good news of Christianity is that God didn't ask you to make it up. That is why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came. See, it's worse than we think. Paul tells us that Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses. That word trespasses is not like... It's not just like we think of trespass, you're getting into somebody's yard, okay? Trespasses is not just sins. Sin can be something that we do and not know it. The word trespass means you know what's wrong and you still do it. Of course, you don't know what that's like at all, right? He was delivered up for our trespasses. The other thing that that kind of speaks to is the fact that what, what has happened is a relational disruption, our relationship with God has been disrupted because of what, he, what, what we've done. And so, in other words, it is all our fault. That nagging sense that something's not right, it's true. Things aren't right. I'm jacked up and so are you. That's just, that's just what it is. 
But the resurrection can change your life because of what comes next. Not only was he delivered up for our trespasses, it says he was raised for our justification. So when we talk about the delivering up, that delivering up is, is um, primarily speaking to the cross, right? It's been several things that we've, you've sung this morning that have kind of dealt with that, dealt with the cross. The cross was Jesus bearing the judgment that our betrayal is due. But the resurrection is also about our justification. He was delivered up for our trespasses, but he was raised for our justification. Now, that's a churchy term. Uh, so churchy, in fact, that it's not often used even in the church. Okay? So here's what that means. Justification, uh, unless you're a Bible geek. Okay? If you're a Bible geek, you know what that means. The other 140 of us might not need some help. So here it is. Justification is about being made right with God. Right? Not being neutral. Hmm. It's not just being made neutral. It's being made in the right. Being in the right with God. Not just kind of going, I mean, all my bad stuff's been taken away. It's being made in the right. Here's why. If Jesus stayed in the grave, we are done. We're done. Like, uh, Jesus staying in the grave would have meant that what happened on that Friday was simply another in a long line of travesties of justice that the Roman Empire had perpetrated. An innocent man went to his death, suffered, died, bled out naked on a cross. Awful. Means nothing to us. Guess what? That happened all the time. But, because Jesus rose from the dead, God is saying that sin was paid for. You see, when we come to faith in Jesus, we place our faith in Christ. When we... I mean, to use an Easter analogy, when we put all of our eggs in his basket, right? Uh, when there's no more blame shifting, there's no more hiding, we literally say, yes, I am, I am done. We're not pretending that we're that bad. We place our faith in Jesus. We are justified. He makes us right with God. It really is that bad. And he, what he did really is that good. Imagine that. Imagine what it would be like to know... That you don't have to pretend anymore. That everything you've ever done, are doing, and will do has already been paid for. Has already been dealt with by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Because see, if that were true, you wouldn't have to pretend. You wouldn't have to put on airs. You wouldn't have to act self-righteous. And listen, I know as well as you do that your self-righteousness is just a way to keep people from seeing the ugliness that's inside you. I know that. You know that. You wouldn't have to dodge responsibility anymore because you know both that you are that guy. You are that person. But also that Jesus is enough to make you right with God. So the resurrection can change your life. But it can also change your living. Okay? Uh, that, that's because one of the other questions we all wrestle with all the time is what do I do? And what I mean is that especially in our culture, we struggle with what, what is it that's expected of me? Because I doubt, and look, we all look very, we're looking different in this room, but I doubt any of us wake up in the morning and think, what, what are the really bad things I can do today? Right? That's, that's probably not on our minds. Most of us wake up and we're thinking, what is the, you know, how can I live my life today in a way that's going to be good for me? That, that raises the question, doesn't it? What, what is good? What is good for us? Now, we like to say relativism rules, right? 
That what's good for me may not be good for someone else. But listen, I have yet to meet a relativist who does not lock their door at night or who wouldn't be wicked angry if I stole their car. Right? Even though, I mean, it was good for me. So who says? Who says what is right? How can the resurrection of Jesus change your living? It does so by answering our relativism. And and that's because this isn't a new question. We like to think that the the 21st century, this pluralistic age, was the first time in all of human history in which there were competing moralities. This is not true. It was as true in the first century as it is in the 21st. And so the resurrection actually speaks to this. Back in that letter of Romans, we're going to look, but this time right at the beginning, the text is right there. This is actually the greeting that Paul gives. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets and the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. All right, lots of language here. Uh, That isn't stuff that we use, but here's the main idea. Jesus is the king. Jesus is the king. Really simple. Here's how these verses say this. First, uh, twice in these verses, Paul calls Jesus Christ. Now, I know that in our culture, we tend to view Christ as Jesus' last name. Okay? Or as some kind of curse that makes the word Jesus into a curse by screaming Christ after it. Uh, and so, if, if, if that were true, then you also have Joseph and Mary Christ and their kids, James, Jude Christ, and a bunch of girls with the last name Christ until they get married. But that's not it at all. Christ is a title. In the Old, in the Old Testament, that word that, that in the New Testament they translate Christ is the word for anointed, which means king. It means king. That's why Paul says he's descended from David. Because you see, in the Old Testament, there are two prototypical kings. One is good and one is bad. The one that's good is named David. The one that's bad was named Jeroboam, son of Nebat. And if your name was, after your name was Nebat, you'd be bad too, okay? So, David and Jeroboam, son of Nebat. He's descended according to David, which means he's a part of the good line. He's the good king. Because God had promised that it was through David and David's line that he would fix the world. But here's the thing about that. Paul's declaring him king, right? Did you know that Jesus was hung on a cross as a royal pretender? Some of y'all grew up in the church, you know that um, you've been to Easter services a bunch or Good Friday services, so you know that at the, at the top of the cross, like Jesus is hanging on it, above Jesus was nailed a sign, right? And that sign said, King of the Jews. And it said it in three languages, so no one would be confused. Because everyone around spoke one of those three languages. And, and the Jewish authorities were so mad about it, because they were like, don't say that he's king of the Jews. Say that he pretended to be king of the Jews. But Pontius Pilate, who's the Roman governor who actually signed his death warrant, said, no, 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 no. That's exactly what I want up there. I got everything exactly the way I want. Why? Because Rome was saying, this is what we do with fake kings. He was crucified for being a fake king. Rome and the Jewish authorities called him a pretender. But God raised him from the dead. And that is why Paul said he was declared son of God in power. Son of God is another royal title. In the ancient Near East, you called the king son of God. Okay, And so, everyone declared Jesus a con, but God declared him a king. 
So Paul continues, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations, including you who are called to belong to Christ Jesus. All right, lots of stuff here. It's that last little bit that's the most important for us. Because when I say Jesus is king, a lot of us in this room can begin going, well, I mean, king for you. In a religious sense, right? Like he's king in a religious sense. It's kind of this religious idea. And so he can be king for you and I can have another uh, authority for me. But Paul says that he, he, Paul, has been called to bring out the obedience of faith. That is to say the obedience that comes from faith in Christ among all the nations. Did you see that? That means because of the resurrection, Jesus has has been declared king to whom the entire world owes allegiance. Now, I know that's not, that's not very popular. Uh, I know it's not popular because you and I hate authority, unless we're in it. We love authority as long as we're the authority. We hate authority if there's anyone above us. Uh, so I get that that's totally offensive. And so what we want to say is that this means religious authority. This is for those who believe uh, in Christ. But Paul doesn't give us that. Look at the last verse. He says... Including you. Including you who are called to belong to Jesus. That means the obedience of faith is for the entire world. And especially Christians. Jesus isn't just the king of Christians. He's not just our authority. God raised him from the dead to be the world's king. Right now. Jesus' resurrection changes your living because it places him in the role of defining what is right, what is wrong, what we are to do. And I know some of you are like, nah, nah, man, I'm good. I'm good. I'm sure, I'm not sure I believe what Paul is saying here. Okay, that's cool. So look, here's what I would ask you to do. Let's take the king thing and let's just set it over here. And let's just talk about the rest of what Paul said, which is the resurrection. Let's imagine that you've got a buddy, and he said lots of things, that some of which were crazy, some of which were good. You, you didn't really, like, on the one hand, he was a really good dude. So you, you liked to be with him because he was really uh, caring and accepting, seemed to really uh, embrace you. And at the same time, he was hard to be around because just being around him made you feel inadequate because you are. And in the middle of his, being, his walking, on, uh, walking around, he begins talking about the fact, hey, I'm going to die. Here's the way I'm going to die. Uh, people are going to betray me. They're going to give me in the hands of these people. I'm going to die. And three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. You're like, yeah, whatever. I don't know what you're talking about. But then it happens. And he's betrayed. And he dies. And three days later, he rises from the dead. Let me tell you, you're going to believe anything else that dude ever said. Because if a guy can predict his own death and resurrection, I think you can trust him for everything else. Right? So look, if you're a Christian here this morning, but your views of things tend to be determined more by blogs than by the Bible, then what I'd say is this. Let me give you a challenge. It's time to actually live what you say you believe, that Jesus is the Christ. So take the next two weeks. I want you to start with the Gospel of John, and I just want you to read one chapter out of John's Gospel each morning. That'll take you maybe 10 minutes. Maybe, if you read slow. Read it out loud, that'd be even better. Read it like you're reading to kids. If you're not a Christian, but you're open, you're like, yeah, I'm not a Christian, but I'm interested, this is, this is interesting. Then I'd say just give me one week. You don't even need to give me two, just one. Same thing. John's Gospel, 
If you don't own a Bible, there's a bunch on that back table. Grab one. That's our gift. Take it. And just give me a chapter a week. Because the resurrection of Jesus can change your living because it says that Jesus is king, which means what he says matters. Okay? So it changes your life. It changes your living. Last thing it does is it changes your legacy. What I mean by that is that it answers the question, what does it matter? Because to say that it can change your life is good. To say that it changes your living, okay, but now, but what does it matter? And that's a big one today because of this notion called nihilism. Like nihilism is that sense of um, futility. Nothing really matters anyway, right? Nothing really matters. This is all there is, so get what you can. Does that sound familiar? It should, because that's the basis of like every advertising campaign you've ever seen. This is the kind of notion we get when we see death coming and we can't escape it. This is the eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die mentality that many of us, if not most of us, live under. I mean, sure, we hold on to some notion of leaving things behind, but the weight of futility, that's, that's a hard one on us. Is anything that I'm going to do in this place going to actually make a difference? What difference does it make? What difference can I make? Nothing's going to last. And see, especially if you're kind of in the, in the less than 30 crowd, that, is, that weighs heavy on you. Everything is just pointless. And in light of this, we either just live for today, or if you're a Christian, you Christianize that into living for heaven. I'm just going to live for heaven, right? But the resurrection of Jesus can change your life, it can change your living, and it can change your legacy. And so the Bible actually deals with this very issue. So later in uh, the same letter, in chapter 8, Paul says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits in eager longing for the revelation of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Okay, let's stop there. Here's what's going on. Paul has begun to talk about what is coming. About what's coming. Which is really important. Because you see, Christianity isn't just about a present comfort. It's about a future hope. And when I say hope, what I mean is not wishful thinking. Wishful thinking is our culture's hope. In the Bible, hope is living, is having a certainty of something that is going to happen. Not, I hope it happens. It will happen. And then living right now as if that is happening right now. That's what hope is. I see what's coming. I begin to live in light of that thing that's coming. It, it's very similar to um, what happens in our country in November of an election year. Right? Three days after the election, two days, a day after the election, whatever. It's, the election's determined. And then all of us, even though the, no one has taken office yet, begin living in light of the next administration. Right? It's the same thing. The Bible teaches as Paul does here, that our betrayal of God had cosmic consequences. And what I mean by that is this. If you were to read the first couple of chapters of the Bible in Genesis, and look, at this point, I don't really care what you think about the whole story, but, but you would, I want you to pick up this part. God thinks everything is great. He's, he's creating things. He's like, that's good, that's good, that's good. Like Oprah, you get a car, you get, but it's just like, that's good, that's good. It's all good. I love it. It's great. And so uh, he... He says all of this stuff is great. And then in Genesis 3, it all goes bad. And it all goes bad 
because of us. That's where it all goes bad. We mess it up. And so not only did our fall affect us, but it also affected the world. The world was subjected to futility. That's what he means up there when he says the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. It was subjected to it by us. And so Paul is laying out the hope that one day creation itself will be released from that. Why would he believe such a thing? Where did he get that from? He got it from the resurrection of Jesus. When Christians say that Jesus was raised from the dead, what we do not mean is that Jesus became a spirit and went to heaven when he died. That is not a resurrection. Nor do we mean that uh, his believers remembered him in such a way that they got this warm fuzzy. Wasn't Jesus great? It's almost like he's here with us now. Also, not a resurrection. Okay, When we say resurrection, when the Bible says resurrection, what we mean is that his body was renewed and he physically came to life after three days. Now, that sounds crazy to us. Can I tell you a little secret? It also sounded crazy to people in the first century. We have this notion that like in the ancient world, people were like, dead people, they get up all the time. Like that never happened. People never believed that. And so we know this because the Apostle Paul, the same dude who wrote this letter, when he went to Athens, uh, he's preaching the gospel in Athens. And, and it's the, the kind of the central hub for learning in the ancient world. And he goes to the big gathering of all the smart dudes, the philosophers, and he talks, he talks about the resurrection and they laugh at him. Ancient people, like modern people, did not believe that dead people got up. Now, that means that I know this sounds crazy, but you and I cannot get away from the fact that people not only believed this, but were willing to say, I saw him. And were willing to suffer and die Instead of saying, nah, dude, I was just joking. Nah, nah, nah. They were willing, and not, not like, like, not quick deaths. Painful death, Braveheart-esque. Here's why this matters. Paul is saying that Jesus is a foretaste of what is coming for the whole world. And what that means is that what we do right now, for the glory of God, out of faith in Christ and by the power of the Spirit, will Last. Think about that. The resurrection is not a complete reordering of everything. It's, it's God fully redeeming everything. And so Paul talks in another letter, in, in his letter that he wrote to the Corinthians in chapter 15, which is like the, the magnum opus about the resurrection. He says at the end of that, that our work that's done in the Lord is not futile. It's not in vain. It will last. Do you see what the resurrection does? It says God cares about this stuff. It says that our physical lives matter, that our bodies matter, that what we do with them matters, that our work matters. God didn't just erase and start over. He didn't just kind of go, oh, the physical thing, tried that, didn't work. Let's go with the spiritual thing. Jesus rose from the dead. And a few days after that, he was grilling fish on the beach for breakfast with his boys. So if you're a Christian here this morning, here's my question for you. Is what you're doing Monday through Friday, 
Is it directed towards the glory of God? In other words, out of worship. Is it done uh, in faith or out of faith in Christ? Meaning you're not doing what you're doing to try and get something from it, but to try and give something. Because Jesus has given you everything. Is it done in the power of the Spirit? Knowing that you know you're not enough. It's why the Spirit was given. So that, so that you could depend on Him. Is that what's governing your Monday through Saturday? See, the resurrection of Jesus can change your life. It changes your living. And it changes your legacy. And I hope that's become clear this morning. It changes your life by saying that you can be right with God. Literally, right now. Not in the future, not in 10 years, right now. It changes your living by saying there is a king, whether you accept his rule or not. There is one. And it changes your legacy by saying that, not, that this is not all there is. But a glorious future is coming, and what you do now can impact that. Which means that it smashes our narcissism, it obliterates our relativism, and it destroys our nihilism. So here's the kicker of all this. The resurrection is news. When I say the word belief, there are two kinds of ways that we can take that. The first is belief like believing in fairies. Right? And unless you need to clap and raise Tinkerbell up, not helpful. The second is belief in like believing that the Battle of Gettysburg happened. Those are two very different things. The gospel, the resurrection, is more like believing about the battle of Gettysburg. Believing news. And so if you're here this morning and you're not sure what to do with Jesus, please do not leave here thinking, that's great for you guys, but... Don't go there because Jesus won't let you go there. It's either true or it isn't. It's either fact or fantasy. It's either news or it's nonsense. But you can't ride the fence. If we're being honest, agnosticism is nothing more than uh, cowardly atheism. Pick. What I'm here to tell you, though, is that if you are asking questions like, who am I, what do I do, and what does it matter, the place for a satisfying answer the place that doesn't either lie about reality or reduce its complexity is the resurrection of Jesus. It's the very thing we celebrate this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, I, I pray for my friends here in this place. Uh, we are a, a doubtful people, all of us, myself included. We're people who struggle to live consistently with anything whether that's Christian faith or our own moral code, we struggle. And so we need you this morning. For some of us here, we need you to, to give faith, to bring faith into our lives. Uh, we've never trusted in Jesus at all. We're not sure what to do with him. We think he's a cool dude, but apart from that, um, we've never even really heard anything that he said. Uh, and so we need you to come and to help us so that we might believe. Others of us are... Uh, we, we follow hard after Jesus, but uh, we do that on Sundays. The rest of our week does not reflect that. And we need you to come and to help shape us into those who follow after our King. And some of us are just stuck uh, wanting to get as much out of life as we can out of fear that it, 
that this is all there is. Help us to live out of a hope. All of this will be by your grace. We can't, we can't sum this up in ourselves. We need you to work. And so we ask you to do this for your glory's sake. In Christ's name, amen.